0: in the gospel, alright? And uh, so, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing uh, today. We're going to begin that series, and that's going to take us all the way through the semester, okay? Uh, As a side note, we're going to use Mark uh, a lot in this sermon series. Mark being the first gospel written, and the one that a lot of the other gospels sort of take their cues from. And so, anyway, just know that ahead of time, if you want to do like a biblical study on Mark, or if, uh, you know, you want to kind of look that up. It's the shortest of the gospels, so only 16 chapters, right? That's manageable. Um, it's very direct, lots of action, lots of the word immediately. And Jesus just immediately does other things. Something I can relate to, being someone who's kind of like constantly moving and uh, active. So we're going to be working a lot out of the Mark text. And so if you you know get halfway through this semester, you're like, he's only using references for Mark. Was Mark the only person interested in... Uh, Race. I mean, what's happening here? No, a lot of these stories are paralleled in the other (laughs) Gospels. But most scholars, whatever that even means, uh, believe that Mark was the first one written and so that's the one that we're going to use. Okay. Uh, Another thing, too, that you can kind of be prepared for is Sierra and team are working through videos that we're going to show at the beginning of each of our (laughs) topics each week that just more or less ask people pretty personal questions about race. And those are going to be three or four minutes, and so if you're someone who really would like to answer one of those questions or be on the the film or feel like you have something particularly important to say that God is leading you to say, talk to Sierra. Sierra, raise your hand. Yep, Sierra. Uh, And uh, and we'll try to work you into those videos. Uh, In addition to that, this is even more scary, I know, for some of you, I'm going to also be doing live interviews, okay, where we bring you up and uh, for five or two minutes I grill you and interrogate you on your race. Uh, No, where we ask you questions, okay, (laughs) about uh, you know how race impacts you and things like that. I'm gonna put those questions up, both the questions from the interviews, questions from the video, and our sermon series outline on Facebook as well today. That way you can kind of think about it. There'll be a lot of opportunity for you online to add your own questions as you're interested. And in addition, at the end of a lot of our sermons, we are going to open it up as a Q&A time. Either you can ask anonymous questions up on the screen, or uh, you, can, uh, you can ask them directly. So we're going to try our best to keep these sermons pretty short and to the point so that we can have some of this other interaction going on with interviews and asking questions and things like that. And, of course, I reserve the right, as always, to not answer your question and tell you that I'm going to answer it the next week and then forget to answer it. Uh, so since we're doing this all you know semester, uh, plenty of procrastination in, in that regard. All right. Great. So let's begin today and uh, talk briefly about kind of why it is that we're doing this. But first, let me just share with you some of the uh, sermon topic uh, topics that we're going to do. We really phrased this in terms of questions, particularly we owe a debt of gratitude to Sierra for thinking through a lot of these questions. So the first one is, where is race? What do I do if I can't find it? What if I don't have enough race? Is it possible to have too much? It'll be week two. Week three, if you tied race to the back of a cat and dropped it, which side would land face up? Okay, that's week four. Uh, if Paul finished the race, 2 Timothy 4.7, then why are we still talking about it? That's week five. Week six, am I race? Would I know it if I was? It's kind of an existential question. I'll answer that in week seven. Uh, how grace, grace, has changed my life, week eight. It's a personal testimony from me. Does race have texture? I'm pretty sure I've seen one or at least felt one before. Okay, that's week nine. We'll uh, work through this. Um, is there enough race to meet the needs of our climbing global population alright that's a little bit more of a social question Week, week 10 that's an important one can I buy it that's week 12 um Is it larger than a loaf of bread? I'm really needing some more data here. Can we get this a little bit more down to earth? And then as sort of a finishing of the series, we're going to take a quiz, like the ones we took for spiritual gifts, to figure out what race we truly are. (laughs) Like, inside. All right? So, that's kind of our sermon series laid out uh, for the next semester. No, just kidding. But, as I was... Looking at my sermon series this morning and ready to prepare, I had realized that Grant Trotter had added a whole bunch, in fact a whole 12 weeks worth of fake sermon titles, some of which I can't even repeat here uh, because of how inappropriate they are. Grant, I mean, dirty mind. Those are not our topics, okay. So, I am going to run through our actual topics because I I know that if you hear them and then you read them, uh, you know, later on, it'll maybe kind of sink in. So today, what we're going to be talking about is why are we having a conversation about race? Kind of seems important. Does race matter to God? Is it really necessary to think much about race as Christians? Please don't try to write this down. There's like four or five questions in each sermon uh, section and you're not going to be able to do it, okay? It's not going to be possible. Uh, How has race played out in the story of Christianity, particularly in Scripture? We're going to draw a lot uh, from our class for that week, too, which will be uh, next week. And so, uh, those of you who can't make it to the class, we'll try to distill all of the five or six hours' worth of information into that one sermon, which will be really exciting. Uh, Then, what is the state of race in our society? We did this similarly with uh, the sort of state of religion last semester, where we just talk about some statistical figures regarding race and crime and... You know poverty and all these other kind of issues to so just talk a little bit about uh, the state of race. My phone keeps dying or turning off. Uh, what is race? How is it different than ethnicity? What is racism and different than prejudice? That's the same week. Week four, does the church have an obligation to help heal racial tensions? Week five, what is classism and how is it linked to race? What does the scripture say about the poor and what is liberation theology? You're going to learn a lot about liberation theology in this uh, this sermon series, whether you like it or not. Okay, How do we acknowledge the importance of race and treat people fairly without falling into the trap of being colorblind? Okay, How does race and dating play out in our culture and how should we approach it as Christians? How do we minister to those who are racist or have racist tendencies? How do we minister to those who are of different races than us? Can people be too sensitive about race? And how has the PC movement, politically correct movement, in our culture harmed our ability to converse about race? And then I have where do we go from here? Part one and part two, which is just filler uh, until I figure out what this is about. Okay. Hopefully, when we uh, you know come up with some good questions and good thoughts, we uh, will we'll go with them. All right. So that's our series, guys. And uh, you know we're going to be uh, doing this for the whole semester. So get comfortable and uh, as comfortable as you can with the topic that we're covering. And please, uh, you know, uh, be ready to to ask your own questions and, and be open and be honest as uh, as a community of of, of faith. So. Uh, Yeah, why race? Why are we talking about this? The clearest answer for this is that uh, that I feel uh, with 100% certainty that this is the time that God wants us to talk about this. Uh, we spent some time praying and thinking about this topic. And unlike many other topics that uh, that we cover, uh, I felt a really clear sense of, uh, you know, this is what God wants us to do. and this is what we're going to do. And, and there's something significant about that. I've been teaching sociology for almost 11 years. And uh, I could have done this year one when I was really passionate about sociology, I and mean, I still am. And I have never done a sermon series on race or ethnicity ever in my 10 years, 11 years of teaching sociology. So it's not like I just sort of decided out of nowhere to do this, or uh, I think it's you know, a number of you had kind of brought up the idea. We prayed about it, we thought about it. And this is the timing that seems to fit really with God's agenda. I know that Focus is copying us like they do on everything. I mean, we're too cool not to copy. And they're doing a pizza theology, whatever that is, on race. Um, just like they did a pizza theology on sexuality the same semester we did sexuality. You know, I'm not trying to say anything, but uh, okay. And uh, so you'll get some of that there, which will be great. Um, but we're gonna kind of explore this topic all semester, and I think it's important a couple of other reasons for those of you who uh, aren't satisfied with God told us to uh, you should really question that you know <laughs> bad person um, Yeah, uh, we have a very diverse church racial and ethnically so a lot of you don't realize that probably part of you You don't quite know uh, maybe the national standards national figures on uh, race and ethnicity, but our church is really racially diverse I might not be so much class diverse, uh, but we are pretty racially and ethnically diverse. I realized that on our New Orleans trip um, uh, this last uh, semester, as I mean, I, we took like 40 people, and I think maybe there were less than like 15 white people. Um, yeah. 10 white people? Yeah. I was so proud of white people that. representing. Okay. <laughs> white people don't care about the poor, you know. Uh, uh, so. Uh, it made me think, it made me realize, whoa, this is really a reflection of who our church is, and particularly in a society and even a, a college uh, environment where that's just not the case. And some of us don't quite appreciate the kind of racial, ethnic diversity we have here, uh, maybe because we're used to it, maybe because we don't quite know what it's like in other places, and some of us are on the opposite side. We really do appreciate it. Uh, and so that's important for us as a church. We always, as a staff, want to preach to our community. God has given uh, you to us, and we are going to be stewards of who we have. And so if we reflect that kind of racial and ethnic diversity, we're going to talk about that as a church, and that's really important to us. All right? Uh, Number two is, you know, and I might make a disparaging comment about America here, and I'm sorry. uh, But we have a really sorted past when it comes to race as a society. And it's very interesting to me that we have effectively ignored so much about what the scripture says about race and ethnicity simply because we're pretty blind to it from our modern Western American perspective. So much of what the scripture talks about and almost every chapter deals with different groups from different ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, interacting with each other and the kind of conflict that arises out of that. And we often don't appreciate it. Some because we just are blind to it. We simply are blind to it. Some because as a society, we have often thought about race in ways that are very, very unhelpful. And we're going to try to address that and dig into it. But, we're, but a lot of scripture is lost on us when we don't realize the kind of racial and ethnic implications going on behind the scenes. And it's not because... Uh, Again, um, you know, the scripture is trying to hide it. It's because, remember, when we're interpreting scripture, we always got to start with what are the original hearers trying to understand. And we're often not doing our due diligence of trying to do that. We immediately want to pull out a piece that's effective for us or that's useful for us in our day and age. And in doing so, uh, many times we're using the wrong ideas in the first place, if those ideas even exist in the text at all. Or we're just completely missing some of the significance of what the original hearers would uh, would be hearing. And so one of the real goals of this sermon series is to regain a sense of first century Palestinian understanding of what the scripture is saying. To be able to be affected and impacted by the scripture like the original people who were hearing and reading these things really are. Because unfortunately, those of us particularly who grew up with a Christian heritage, a lot of scripture has become pretty bland to us. We hear it, we think we know it, but oftentimes we're only seeing it through the very narrow lenses that we have as Western Americans listening to a text that is so far removed from our culture and ideological understandings. And so it's really important that we, through this topic, regain some of what the original audience was really hearing some of the radical messages that, uh, that were taking place um, by a guy, Jesus, who we've mostly domesticated. And how many times have you heard the statement, well, Jesus really wasn't a social activist. He wasn't really trying to uproot the system. He really only cared about spiritual things. Such a, uh, um, a lack you know, uh, un- of understanding of what's really going on. Now, certainly he wasn't only a social activist and and knows, but we're going to try to kind of unearth that and and understand exactly what's going on in a lot of these passages that we read over. Okay? And then maybe like the biggest thing is just why not? Why not talk about it? It's an important topic. We've been obsessed with it for the last decade. A lot of you millennials, it's like all you think about. You know, if you can just fix racial issues, somehow, you know, the whole world will be good again. (laughs) Um, So. You know, it's time, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? There's a million reasons, but I want to come back to over and over again that the main reason we're doing this is because uh, at least I, but I think all of our staff, feels that this is God's timing for this topic. So we're going to do it. Okay? Another reason. We are uh, pretty good as individuals in our individualistic society at understanding sin and individual sin. But what we've lost, in some sense, as our community bonds... I have been kind of broken, uh, or at least fractured, uh, is social sin. And the idea that sin does not just come in the form of individual things we've done wrong, but sin is actually systematic and a part of the fabric of culture. And we collectively are sinning in a variety of ways that we often don't pay much attention to. Now I know sin isn't a cool word anymore. We don't like to talk about it. Uh, But unfortunately, this is going to be a big part of what we've got to come to understand. Is how we, as Christians, but as just humans living in culture, are a part of the social sin structures that we've allowed, that we take part in, and that we've largely ignored as being a part of our responsibility in a renewed earth, and as the Holy Spirit works. But certainly the first century hearers of Christianity would have never individualized sin to the degree that we have. Okay? And so it'll be important for us as we look at our own society with a fresh eye, being willing to critique, but also being willing to approve of those values that really do fit into the kind of kingdom mode of thinking that we, we appreciate that. We appreciate and take um, ownership over the societal sin that we see. Go back and read the prophets, guys. The prophets are not chocked full of God speaking about individual people sinning. They're chocked full of God speaking against whole cities and whole societies for their collective and systematic sin. Wow, it's intense. Our God, who decides to, to, to talk, decides to attack these societal and systematic issues that he sees particularly in his people Israel. It's a big deal it's a really big deal. and We're going to have to regain a sense of that. Uh, my next question was, does it matter to God? Yeah, it does. Okay, on to point three. Uh, no. Um, yeah, I mean, it does. It matters to God. I mean, hopefully I can't answer that question really quickly for you. You're going to be convinced of that as we read Scripture and as we uh, come to understand um, you know, some of what Jesus was really attempting to do in the lessons that he taught and the kinds of people he spent time around. But it, it is. I mean, race is God-designed, right? As near as we can tell from the very vague conversation of the Tower of Babel, whether you take that uh, literally or figuratively or whatever, God decided to divide the people up, at least by language. Um, there's, well, we'll go into that uh, for now. But um, it's God-designed. Race is God-designed. It's not something we just, just you know, came up with. And even if you're someone who really cares a lot, about, you know, anthropology and you understand the anthropological evolutionary means of how the races differ and how that came to be. Well, still, that's God designed into the very fabric and biology of uh, of human nature. And so, anyway, uh, it matters. But more important than that, think back to the scripture of how often the message of the gospel, or at least of God's glory in the Old Testament... Going to all the nations. I remember as a freshman, or maybe sophomore at UTD in college, this missions group came, and I don't remember how I heard about it, but I just decided to kind of go. And they spent almost 45 minutes just going through all of the the biblical examples of God uh, speaking about His glory going out to all the nations. There's no way you can read the Old Testament... There's no way you can really pay much attention to Jesus and think that God came to be a God of a specific people group. It just isn't there. And actually, that's pretty radical. Because gods, as they're depicted in antiquity, are gods of specific people groups. They favor some groups over others. And yet, over and over, the gods that we have... Uh, uh, you know, presented to us and who speaks to us in the Old Testament is a God that says to all the nations. Two particular examples stand out to me. One, Paul saying that it had always been my intention to preach to the Gentiles. Paul, a guy who had become the most successful Jewish person who leaves the success of what you've prepared for and planned for your whole life to go be among people who don't even respect or understand your specialties and competencies. It's like me no, I'm not going to use that example. Um, wow, <laughs> to filter my thoughts sometimes when I'm up here. Yeah, So uh, just think of your own example. Insert your example here. You leave where you're, everyone respects you, honors you, you're at the very highest part of the social system into a completely different culture where no one respects you. They laugh at you because your ideas are so stupid and silly. But it had always been his idea. Where do you think he got that idea from? You think it just was in his personality type? You think his socialization somehow along the way led him to that? No. His personality type and his socialization led him away from caring about anybody outside of, of Israel. And less about Israel and more about the Israel elite. But God changed his heart. in Isaiah uh, when Isaiah is having this experience of being, you know, kind of tongue on fire or whatever, or whatever, God says something that's always stuck out to me, and it's I think Isaiah six, but I don't know the reference. It's not enough for you just to be a prophet and a messenger to the people of Israel. I'm going to make you a messenger to all the nations. It's very clear from day one that that was God's agenda, and that the highest honor is held for those people who are able to break across their ethnic. Uh, geopolitical, cultural confines to minister to other people in another environment. It's just clear. That does not mean that we all need to go be missionaries. <laughs> doesn't at all. Uh, the world has largely come to us and is starting to, to uh, you know, give us missionaries that are much needed. But it's important to recognize that this matters to God. matters greatly to God. Uh, and it's a consistent and constant theme throughout the scripture. Or is it necessary to think about? Well, some of these questions are obviously uh, rhetorical, but it's important for us to, at least in introducing this this topic, begin to cover them, begin to talk about them. Yeah, it is necessary to think about. Uh, Not the least of which because race communicates to many of us an identity. And identity is very tricky because identity can contribute to our understanding of who we are in Christ or can absolutely conflict with it. And it often does one or the other, things that are really tied into our identity, things that are a part of who we think we are and we're made to be, are obviously going to guide how we do life and how we interact with people. And so race is just one of those things, particularly in our society. One of the things that we're going to have to kind of recognize in first century Palestine is, is Palestine is race is just not near as important a factor. Uh, you know There were a number of other factors, particularly your social position, that mattered a lot uh, more. But in our society, race matters. It matters greatly for how people see themselves and understand themselves. And so it's something that God absolutely has to be able to take over and not delete, but we have to understand it in relation to who we are in Christ. Otherwise, it will compete. For uh, allegiance. And that's not good. Okay? And number two isn't necessary to think about. Uh, One of the uh, the important things about this series is I'm going to try my best to not use buzzwords. Okay, Uh, When I do, I'm going to try to to narrow them and really make clear what I mean by them. So things like diversity, which has no meaning anymore, or equality or, or those other things. But it is important. That you recognize how much Jesus focuses on the issue of equality. And in fact, reverse equality or or submission or I don't remember. But intentionally making yourself lower than other people. It's constant. It's throughout the scripture. And, And certainly that applies to how we think about race and ethnicity. Okay? Equality in the kingdom. That Christ has come to turn upside down the social system and its obsession with categorizing people and hiring and heightening some people and lowering uh, other people. And and, and so this is going to be a big deal. And as you read, I think, through Mark, you're going to realize just how much Jesus sets as a goal to equalize people, to take those people who see themselves as high up and bring them down. And to, to take those people who see themselves as low down and insignificant and bring them up. It's about equality. And, and although, again, equality has come to mean a lot of, of moot points, I think, maybe in, in our day and age, we're going to try to kind of address this anew in the idea of what is kingdom equality. And what does that, uh, that even mean from Jesus' perspective? So I want to finish with a story, Mark 7. Again, this is one of those stories that you can go back and reference in Matthew, maybe twenty-five. I really can't remember, but you you can you can do it. And uh, and we're going to read Matthew. Uh, excuse me, Mark seven twenty-four. So let's take this passage, which is widely misunderstood. In fact, this is used often by people who try to discredit the scripture and Jesus, in particular, as a bigot or as someone who's prejudiced. Um, and of course the irony is that uh, it, at least in terms of the original audience they would have heard this very very differently uh, than Jesus as a bigoted person in fact it would have been quite the opposite so Mark 7 I want to read this to you I want to illustrate a few points and then we'll have the praise team come on back up and, uh, and we'll be done for today so Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of I don't know how to say this so I'm just going to call it Tyre yeah Why not? You know, we're in the South. Tire. (laughs) Uh, Actually, let me back up a little bit real quick. Uh, So the beginning of this uh, kind of series of stories starts with these Pharisees coming and chiding Jesus for not being uh, clean, not holding on to the cleanliness laws of washing hands and rituals and things like that. So then he kind of turns that around on him and says, nothing that goes inside a man makes him unclean. It's what comes out of a man, those things that defile us, those things that are deep into our hearts. And so as Mark does so brilliantly, he pulls together stories and weaves them into themes. And so you've got to kind of come into this story knowing that Jesus has just attacked their understanding of clean and unclean. And in particular, he's taken their definition of clean, which has a whole lot to do with outward symbolic signs of cleanliness, and reversed it to say, you guys are full of all kinds of unclean things while being clean on the outside. And in fact, what kind of cleanliness matters to God is the kind of cleanliness that gets at the heart, at the source of the kind of evil uh, that's in a man's heart, or that's in a society or whatever else, okay? So the cleanliness is kind of important going into this story. So there you go. So he left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. A constant theme in Mark, Jesus being secret about his miracles. You might want to think through why that is. Yeah, he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure or unclean spirit actually in the NRSV came and fell at his feet the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia Uh, so she was really a Syrian and the Greek uh, and and Roman Empire had kind of taken over this place and for the most part given them quite a bit of of, uh, control and autonomy over their own region okay so she would have been a Canaanite woman, all right, and being in an area that is, uh, you know, very Hellenistic, and we're going to use that word a lot. Hellenistic it doesn't mean like hell-based; it means Greek, yeah, uh, Greek Roman, um, Hellenistic, yeah. Okay. So, and uh, and here's uh, here's what happened. So she got this; her daughter's got this impure spirit, uh, unclean spirit, which is really a better rendering of this word. Uh, and, and and by the way maybe I feel like I'm going too many tangents, but when we do go back through some of these texts, because we are taking a very, to use a big biblical word here, exegetical approach, which just is a big word for trying to understand what the original hearers were hearing, uh, you might want to reference the NASB or the NRSV version to get a better sense of what actual words are being used here. And it might even be nice to have a, uh, you can do this online, you have to go buy one, but a quick he, uh, Greek to um, English back and forth so that you can look at the particular Greek words being used here and look at what their best transliteration into English is. Because uh, I don't ever want you guys to feel like I'm doing that preacher's you know, uh, wave of the magic wand and all of a sudden a word doesn't have to mean what it, you know, we don't want it to mean. Um, you, you need to go back and study this on your own and make sure that you're clear and I'm clear and that we're both clear on what some of these words that are particularly important to the text really do mean. And that I'm not just using that kind of like, you know, oh, but that didn't really mean that. It meant something the opposite of that. Uh, yeah, that's just an important side disclaimer. That doesn't require a lot of work. You can do that pretty quickly. All right, so I, will, I might uh, reference the NRSV in the, in the New Revised Standard Version in the NASB uh, as a better source for, for getting those Greek words into English. The, the text doesn't flow as well in those versions, but they're much better versions than NIV to just study out of because they're more literal all right. N-R-S-V N-A-S-B all those fun uh, yeah, acronyms so she was from this, re- uh, this region of Syria, she was a Canaanite woman, um, without being able to go too much into the uh, political relationship between lower Palestine and this upper Palestinian region, let's just say they did not get along, alright? The Greeks in this mostly Greek region did not get along with the Jewish folks in you know, the mostly southern uh, Judea and Galilee. This didn't get along. In fact, it becomes so bad that they go to war with each other in about 30 years from when this text was written. Probably more like 20 years. And they just have an all-out insurrection war. Okay, These people did not get along. They were not friendly. Uh, go back and read all the different things that the Canaanites were said to do. This was a Canaanite woman. Okay? Uh, and so the Jews just did not think of them as, as very good and in fact sometimes they thought of these folks as even worse than the rest of the Greeks because they were the closest Greeks to them so uh, I don't know if that makes much sense to you but because they were the closest you know, single Greek population near their area they were like the worst kind of Greeks because they didn't just have visions of what Greeks were like they had concrete examples of how nasty these people really were because they had to interact with them uh, in their own kind of day and age okay all right so she begged jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter jesus says first let the children eat all they want for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs and you're like whoa where did that animosity come from right <laughs> jesus just straight up called this woman a dog man that's not right okay and, and he does he calls her a dog. Now. It is important that as you go back and look through these words, there were sort of two major words used for dog back then. Uh, the, the main one was like a, just a basically, you know, barbarian, beastly, um, uh, uncouth, to use a cool word, uh, dog variety, which is actually a very popular slang term that Jewish people refer to Greeks at, particularly the Greeks here in this Euro-Phoenician area literally they called them dogs and not of the nice variety well Jesus actually spins us a little bit and uses a different Greek word that's uh, um, kind of an offshoot of that word which is literally the word for household pet Now, not a lot of people had household pets as dogs you had to be pretty wealthy and rich to have a household dog pet okay this wasn't very common for like rural villagers you know to have too many of these dogs Uh, so he uses this word he still calls her a dog let's be clear Rather than calling her the dog variety of barbaric dog, at least now we have like a pet dog. Which I know in our modern you know, uh, language, it's not like, oh, well, that's so much better. you know. <laughs> we can definitely get on board with Jesus just calling her a pet dog and not a wild dog. you know. <laughs> and many of us might even think, well, I thought it would rather be a wild dog. You know. That sounds cooler. I mean, I would. <laughs> but yeah, important that you understand that. So, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Oh, goodness, goodness gracious, we could, we could talk about this so much. But you can imagine reading that for the first time uh, as a Christian or not, and thinking, this is just not very nice, man. Like, you know, what's he doing? Calling this, this woman name? And then when, when she responds with a good answer, he's like, all right, you have your answer, heal. <laughs> and if you read that story in a modern you know, uh, mindset, uh, uh, you will totally miss the kind of significance that's really going on here. For one, Jesus is showing how an unclean woman, who is unclean according to Jewish law as a result of her daughter having an unclean spirit, has a deeply clean inside and is worthy of being healed. And the fact that he uses the dog term simply, I think, was to, number one, relate with the audience around him, who they were probably like, yeah, she is a dog, right? And then he's going to flip it all around on them, but also probably to test her faith some. Because it wasn't like the Greeks in that area were poor or thought of the Jewish people as really being great folks. You know, oh, they call us dogs, but... We love them still. (laughs) No, no, no. These were people that largely oppressed uh, the Palestinians below them and uh, lived all kinds of, uh, you know, really terrible ways of living. And anyway, so Jesus, you know, kind of tests, I think, her. No, you know the deal. Why are you coming to a Jewish official when you see our religion as, you know, stupid, as simple? I don't think so. And she, of course, you know, uh, in her humility says, yeah, but... Uh, even we know and can recognize uh, you know that kind of, uh, of truth when we see it the other thing that's really interesting about this passage and, and super significant is you guys remember the story of Jesus getting up uh, in his first speech at his temple right in Nazareth and he gets up and you know and he, he gives this great message you know quotes Isaiah it's a prophetic text everyone's excited Yeah, yeah. sits down you know and then they you know, they're so excited, and Jesus is in this moment of like you know, ecstatic. I just you know preached my, my first sermon at my church, and it, it killed it. I mean, I killed it. How many of you who've ever preached thought your first sermon was like really good? No way. <laughs> my first like five years of sermons were really bad, all right? But he killed his first one. And so rather than reveling though in this being a great moment, he gets up and he says, "I'm sure you're going to quote me or uh, as, you know, physician, heal yourself, blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of like, what does that mean? I don't know. And then he goes on to say, as almost out of not at all being uh, accused, or it just comes out of nowhere, Jesus says, you know what? Uh, a prophet is never accepted in their hometown. In fact, in the day of Elijah, God sent Elijah to a whole other land, to a widow in Zephyrath, rather than to his own people. And what does his people do? They were like, hmm, that is right. We need to change our ways and recognize how God can really help and save all kinds of racial and ethnic groups. No, what they do? They got him up, tried to take him to a cliff and throw him off. Guys, this is his home church. They watched him grow up knew him, and are ready to take him and throw him off a cliff because he said that God sent Elijah to this particular land. You want to know where that land was? Same exact land that this Syrophoenician woman came from. It's literally one city away, most likely from where Jesus was in this area. And so there's something Jesus is doing in one of these first miracles that he is making it very clear to the powers to be that God is working outside of Israel. And yeah, sure, God has sent him directly to be uh, a minister to the people of Israel, but it's about to get a lot bigger than that. And you may not like that, and you might not think it's great, but it's happening. And so what a story. The original hearers would have read this story and would have been absolutely uh, irate. That Jesus would have chose to do this miracle, his first miracle from afar, with this person who was so undeserving. And yet we read it as the opposite. Jesus is prejudiced. He's a bigot. He calls people dogs. <laughs> you see what I mean? This is the kind of stuff we've got to be able to do when we read through this. And uh, it'll be challenging. and It'll be tough. But, uh, but we can do it. No doubt. All right?